Yes, sir. I'm meeting Mr. Sussman. Yes, he's right there, sir. Mr. Sussman. <laughs> Mr. Sussman is my father, and he lives in Miami Beach. <laughs> it's Neil. Please sit. <laughs> Uh, my wife and I come here all the time, and I will tell you that the gaucho steak is wonderful. Okay, sounds good. Are those contacts? No. I would kill for that color. I've always been stuck with hazel. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Nick, I'm not going to bullshit you. I don't know you. I don't know your work. But I think that you are a very, very talented young man, and I'm never wrong about these things. Excuse me. Keith. Mm. Yes. Could I have another Cointreau and Sodi? Mm -hmm. And could you send an almond tort over to the gentleman in the white suit in the corner? Certainly. Look, Nick, I'm not going to bullshit you. Because it's a waste of time, and then it becomes like that thing. Oh. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'll call you. I'm very, very aware that you are seeing other agents. And I think it's good that you are. Finally, I mean, it's healthy. But this is the thing. If you decide to sign with me, you're going to get more than an agent. You're going to get three people. You're going to get an agent, a mother, a father, a shoulder to cry on, someone who knows this business inside and out. And if anyone ever tries to cross you, I'll grab them by the balls and squeeze till they're dead. Excuse me. Keith, did you send over the tour? Yes, sir. And, and, and what was his reaction? Well, he seemed pleased, but beneath the surface, I detected a certain sadness. Hmm. That's Martin Short as an over-the-top Hollywood agent trying to win over a new client played by Kevin Bacon in the Christopher Guest classic, The Big Picture. One of the many topics we'll be talking about this week on The Nightfly. I'm David Juskow, host of The Nightfly podcast. In addition, The Big Picture, we'll also be talking about defunct restaurant change, and MS-13 gang members. And, of course, the movie Kissing Booth 2. That's all coming up this week on an all-new edition of The Nightfly. And welcome to the Nightfly, July something edition, July 28th or so, the end, the final program of July 2020, and good riddance to any of the months that pile on in 2020. 
Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, I say. Uh, recording on a Saturday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three days before the podcast actually comes out. On a beautiful Saturday in downtown New York City. Why play Call Me when it's not a call-in show? I don't know. It just spoke to me. At the beginning, I suppose, I tried to uh, open up the podcast with an old Siskel and Ebert at the movies, uh, like, way. <laughs> I don't know if anybody caught it. I just uh, used to love that. And they would show the picture of the movie and be like, and that's Timothy Hutton. Damn it. <laughs> that's Timothy Hutton in an all-new Turk 182 coming out this week, where we'll be talking about three new movies. Oh, that show was so awesome. I miss those guys. Although I think Roger Ebert's still alive, but they, they didn't they didn't end well for those two uh, medically. Uh, but boy, those shows were great. Right? We played a couple of clips of them. Just you know, when they, uh, you know, it's great to hear them talk about movies that are classic now, like Goodfellas or something like that. They liked it, but it's the best when they don't like it, and it's like a legend. But that's how you put yourself out there and you win money. By being controversial. And uh, you take it because that's how you become popular. I don't know. I've lost my... Uh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. Let's turn this down and, and start the show, shall we? Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back again. I am Dave Jesko. I have not had a spectacular week. as uh, I'm just saying I uh, just haven't done a lot of stuff. So it's been a very normal quarantine week for me, technically, um, besides one day of going out. Uh, certainly the last week or two weeks have been memorable, for sure, in the sense that I will always remember 2020 for the fact that I, you know, for some reason, when everybody else was inside, I was outside performing for 4,000 people, the most people I've ever personally performed for in my life. It's uh, really hysterical, too, as I talk to a lot of the comics. Everyone knows. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's talking about it. Like, why is Just Gal performing so much? I know Todd Perry put it up on Twitter. He's like, why are you getting more work than I am? And I said, I said, listen, it's everything's fakakta. It'll all be back to normal soon. It does make sense that in a world turned upside down, Dave Juskow would be getting the most work out of everybody as a stand-up comedian. That That's kind of the icing on the cake for what is the mess of what is 2020. But it is funny. Now, I think things are mostly going back to normal. Well, they're not going back to normal, but I'm saying comedy-wise, I, I know Attell's outperforming, and I, I know they're, the governors in Long Island is trying to put gigs together and stuff. But now people probably won't have me open because I think they're angry and jealous Although they'd be fools to think that, because it's really not that big a deal. It's just uh, things like this happen, and I, I, I assume they won't happen again anytime soon. But it, you know, this this puts me in a good status for the next year of still being somewhat relevant. And every year, I need something like opening for Sarah or a show like Crashing to keep Dave Juskow relevant. In whatever world it is I live in, I guess the comedy community, and it keeps my name out there and says like, well, I guess this guy's still got something going on. I don't know what it is, but it is fun to make fun of him. So I have these things once a year that um, keep me keep me trucking and uh, seem to pull me back in every time I think I'm out. But that's all right. That's the way to be. Am I right? So. 
no shows this week at all, and uh, I couldn't be happier, of course. I enjoy staying in. I have no plans this week, and I didn't even go visit my mother this week because she was busy. You imagine this lady? She's. I'm like, well, well I'll see you on Thursday. Oh, no, no, no. I'm taking my friends to, to Princeton Thursday. You what? You know Thursday's the day I come down. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got to do this. I think my mother is now riding, and uh, I think she is now an Uber driver for some of her friends. You know, she still drives. So she's been putting together, and I think she's actually started to get paid for driving people around. Now, she shouldn't be driving at all anyway, but it is kind of funny to have her getting paid for driving her older friends around that are half blind and a little bit older than she is. It's hilarious, but she's still kicking, and driving. she got upset. Yes, she forgot about our, our Shabbat Zoom call with Beth and Dory. You know, every Friday, I text me, Rhoda, my sister, Dory, and Liza, and I say, Shabbat Zoom call today at 525, and uh, I feel, I, I call my mom every day since the pandemic has started, or maybe even since I lost my job, because I have time now, so I, I have time to call, and, you know, when I was working, I didn't have time. Beth doesn't have time now, because she's working two jobs for some reason, and uh, I don't call on Fridays because I know I'm going to see her on the Zoom call. And I feel that that is a very acceptable thing to do. I don't talk to her before the Zoom call. We're going to sit there for a half hour anyway, 45 minutes, actually. I, You know, there's nothing to talk about anyway. So, you know, I just let the text speak for itself. I don't know how many times I have to tell her to check your text all the time and you know it's friday and you know it's 5 40 and she's still not there and bet's like good then we can just go and i'm like well let me call her and i call her and she goes i didn't get a message and i'm like i totally sent you the message i didn't get it i totally sent you i tried calling you all day now that's my phone was unplugged from last week's podcast i unplugged my landline which i keep telling her not to go i stopped i finally stopped using a landline and i'm talking about only six months ago I'd still been using my landline phone to talk on the phone, and I realized it is so much better to talk on the cell phone with my headphones. I could put my cell phone in my pocket. I'm hands-free because I walk around and talk on the phone. I never sit down when I talk on the phone. I pace, and I go from room to room, and tell always seems to get the most matters because he can hear me, I guess, creaking on the floor. He's like, what is that? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm pacing around. And I go from room to room pacing and talking on the phone. That's the way I talk on the phone. It's actually... Uh, Quite good for exercise. I just can't sit still and talk on the phone, which is why I don't like to video chat on the phone. I'd prefer a Zoom call where I'm sitting, you know, in one location and just, you know, that's what we're doing right now. But, yeah, I've told her a hundred times, stop calling me on that number and just, you know, check, keep your phone with you at all times. Like when you're sitting down to watch TV because... You know, we're trying to have a relationship with you and texting, especially with your granddaughters and grandson, is the way people do it. And I understand being old and not understanding texting or whatever. But I mean, Jesus Christ, there's been texting for like 10 years now, and you just can't use being an old person as an excuse at some point. You you know, it's, it's a pretty simple task to find your text. And knowing full well on Friday that it's the Sabbath, you know, for we're only doing it for her, lighting the candles on, on Friday night through Zoom since the pandemic. I don't do that. 
every Friday. She does. So we decided to do this thing. How how does a Jewish mother who's, you know, raised us kosher and made us do all these horrible Jewy things, which what we weren't interested in, like going past your bar mitzvah, or, you know, and, and still going for your Jewish education, which no one else was doing, when you just want to die. Um, how is that woman forgetting that it's Friday night? Now, I understand, again, we could take into consideration, well, everybody's forgetting the days of the week these days. So that's a thing. But at some point when you remember it's Friday and you said, geez, my son hasn't called me today. How do you not go? Oh, let me check my text and see if he texted about the zoom. Cause it's Friday night and I like the candles every Friday night, but just for the past 80 years. So why is this night different than all other nights? Oh, here it is. Ugh. And then she, you know, she's like, it'll take me a long time to put together. I'm like, it takes no time to put together. We've been, tr- I mean, I've been over there trying to help her. I got her a new microphone, which is working great. I mean, I really hooked it up. So there is no issue. You click on the button and you're already in. You know, I put the camera up for her. The only thing she has to do is clip the microphone to her shirt, which, you know, that's an easy, that's old school. It's like putting a, a, a brooch. Is that right? I don't know. I get that like a carnation or something, you know. And, uh, you know, and then she's like, you're making me feel bad. Shut up, you old bat. We're only doing this for you. Seriously. If I can't tell her, I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you? You know, we're all taking time. I mean, I sit there and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I got 5.30, 5.30. I got to remember 5.30. You know, I, I hate having something to do all the time. It drives me crazy. I know that tomorrow I have a Zoom call with some uh, friends from Florida, and it's like bothering me. Oh, four o'clock tomorrow in the middle of the day. You got to be kidding me. I mean, that's the thing. I know I have a seven o'clock Zoom call on sun- Tuesdays, and these kind of things bother me because, you know, it's been great not having any plans, and I have a routine. I told you my routine, I think, last week, or maybe I didn't. I wake up around 10, I guess, if I'm lucky, you know, if I had a good night's sleep. I have something to eat. I have some coffee. On Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I go down and get the paper. Because <laughs> it's downstairs. They won't let it up. And uh, then I maybe watch some TV. And then maybe I do some yoga. And then I do some writing. And then I get dinner ready at around 7 o'clock. You know, that's the plan. Either call for dinner. Or I've been cooking a lot lately because I went grocery shopping last week. So... I should be good. I haven't had to order in anything. And then and then I sit down and watch TV. And then if I'm if I've fallen asleep for like 10 minutes and I feel rested, I'll go do some editing work on the computer until like one or two or three in the morning. And that's my day. And it's worked perfect. And I'm very happy about it. I know I'm not missing out on anything. So it's a pretty good system. It's a pretty good system for somebody who has fear of missing out and somebody who just wants to be productive. So then I can say good. And sometimes I'll take a walk too so I can add in a little more exercise besides the 15-minute yoga thing I do. It's a pretty good system. So when I have something that I know I have to do, like a 4 o'clock or a 5 o'clock or a 7 o'clock Zoom call, I'm like, oh, that's going to ruin my whole day. (laughs) Which, of course, doesn't make any sense. But if you're retired, which we all are, a lot of us are at this point, then having something to do is just annoying, you know, unless it's a, a dinner where you're going out and having a good time. But, 
you know, I mean, it is, it's fun to see all these people. It's not like a, a chore. I mean, sometimes the Zoom calls like with Dennis DeYoung last week, that's a chore. I'm like, all right, I got to be on my game. Got to be on my, got to concentrate. But if you're just talking to your mom and your sister and your niece, you're like, yeah, hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm going to take a nap while you guys are talking, all right? I don't, I don't got to do anything. I don't got to get ready. And it's a burden, which is the most hilarious of all things, that now that has become a burden. Because I have something to do. Now, I got nothing to do today. It was beautiful. I just know I did the podcast. I don't have anything over tomorrow. For, and it's my fault. It's like, do you guys want to Zoom tomorrow at 4 o'clock? <laughs> I set it up myself. What's the matter with me? Now I'm just like, all right, wait. I think I could eat now, but I have to remember that Zoom call in five hours. I mean, this is always the way I've been. If I know I have to leave the house at 7 o'clock to announce the roller derby or whatever the hell it is, you know, I'm just like, all right, I got five hours. Now, if I eat something light right now, I might be able to go to the bathroom before I leave and then shower. And if I shave at the appropriate time, I mean, this is the way Dave just got things. I would assume a lot of people think this way, too. I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether it's getting older and you think like this or maybe it's always I think it's always been like this for me. It's just like I have that kind of personality. I time things out, which is why. I'm not a very spontaneous person. I need to know when things are happening. So it drives me crazy when Liz says, do you want to host the Comedy Cellar podcast tonight? And I'm like, oh, geez, what is that, in five hours? Oh, boy, I, I just made a gesture. I'm looking at my watch, which I don't even wear. So, but, you know, whatever, big deal. Anyway, I... uh what was I saying about that? There was something else. Oh, so I had something point. Well, I will tell you that. Uh, so Wednesday, you know, some time. What was I just thinking of? It was something that was upcoming that was bothering me because I had to do something. I don't remember what it was. But on Wednesday nights, I've actually been trying to go out. I'm considering Wednesday nights now my drinking night, you know, or go out to a bar, but not a bar. And I went to my favorite bar down in the West Village on Wednesday. And, uh, oh, and Wednesday was the day it poured. We were supposed, me and Atel and Russ and Nick were supposed to have dinner again, but the weather was awful. But I left the house at around 5.30 or 6 on the bike, and it poured and lightninged and thunderstormed. I mean, it was real messed up. And I had to keep stopping on the bike and going under some scaffolding because there's nothing worse than being drenched and then having to spend your night soaking wet, especially if your socks get wet. And I was wearing these sneakers that are not clearly waterproof. So I kept ducking under things and I made it all the way down to the village somehow on the bike. And then the rain, it was torrential. And I had to be under the scaffolding. And the worst part was, you know, the bike costs money if you don't make it after the 45 minutes. And I was at the 45-minute mark. And there was a docking station right across the street from where I was, maybe on Waverly, right, right across from NYU. And I couldn't get there because even going out for that two seconds, I was going to get drenched. It was pouring. And so finally it let up. And I parked the bike, and it cost me money, of course, which drives me crazy. Because, you know, I could have easily made it before the 45 minutes. So that, that extra, 
you know, dollar or two dollars was just like, oh, I always want to call them and be like, I, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was raining. So I just parked the bike. I'm like, I'm walking the rest of the way clear, clearly. And then I moved a little further and then it just got sick. It got even worse. Thunder, lightning, pouring, wind. And I'm like, I got to hunker down in this little awning in this little vestibule where this ridiculously hot girl was standing. And I sat under this, this awning first. And, you know, I was just like, well, this is crazy. You know, we're both wearing masks. And, that, and there's nothing worse than the stupid mask all wet. I didn't bring a, a substitute mask. I'm not thinking of these kind of things. Now the mask is wet. There's nothing worse than a wet mask you're wearing on your face. This is something I don't think anybody's discussed yet. So that sucked. Anyway, I'm sitting there wearing that stupid mask. This girl, I'm talking to her, but I'm also trying not to make her nervous by, I want to go in where she's sitting, which is a better covering, but, you know, she's young and really pretty, and I don't want to seem creepy. It's already bad, you know, we're stuck in this together, and there's no one else on the street. So finally, we start talking, and I said, "Can do you mind if I go in there, too? She's like, no, no, I don't mind. And, uh... Thank God she let me share this place because then the lightning was scary. And she was like, huh? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty scary. Like, I was trying to calm her down. Like, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, it was really it was really weird. <laughs> I almost feel bad for her. I was stuck with this old man in this uh, vestibule, but she was so hot, even though wearing her mask. I mean, because I, I, now I've looked her up on Instagram. Oh, sure, it's creepy, but she, you know, she gave me her Instagram thing. And, uh, oh, my God, she's really pretty. But it was really funny because we, you know, just hung out and we we were under there for 20 minutes to a half hour. There was no way to leave there. The lightning was right in the heart of New York City because, you know, it was thundering and then immediate lightning or lightning and then immediate thunder. You know how, you know, it goes away. You know, it's going away if you see the lightning and then thunder comes, you know, seconds, 10 seconds later, you know, it, the lightning is not near you. But it was right on top of us. It was too dangerous to leave. So we hung out for a while. We had a nice time. She was very nice. Like I said, kind enough to let me uh, stand under there with her, which was good. And, uh, you know, I invite her, hey, I want to come over to the bar. I'm hanging out. I've got some nice people over there. And she's like, no, nah, I got I to gotta go the opposite way because I'm moving tomorrow or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Hey. But uh, so then I finally ended up going to the bar. And um, there's this guy there, pretty good-looking guy, I guess. I mean, you know, good, good skin. But he's all his face is all tattooed up. But those are the people that usually hang out at this bar. So it's not like it's a surprise. You know, I've seen piercings up the wazoo, literally, uh, at the place, this, this place where I hang out. You know, my friend Paradox, who has the, the color contacts, the piercings, the tattoos. she got the whole package. But it's like a goth-like bar, so I expect that kind of stuff. It's a place where I usually don't fit in, but I fit in everywhere, technically. And this guy, he had good hair, you know, it was long, and he told me he was, uh, we were talking, because there was a protest in the middle of all this, a protest. Yeah, couldn't believe it. Like, I think a Black Lives Matter protest, all white people, not one black person. And they were going down the way in the, in the, in the rain. Even me and that girl were just like, what the hell are they doing? Who would protest on a day like today? 
But it went past us, and then the, this guy started talking. Yeah, I got in the middle of that protest because I'm an American Indian or whatever he said, what kind of Indian he was. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? I'm an Indian, and I was here before. Like, whatever he was saying, I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I keep talking about that kind of stuff. I mean, I was like, first of all, he bought me a drink as soon as I met him. He's like, I'm going to buy you a drink. I'm like, nah, you don't have to do it. He's like, no, I want to. I don't know why. I guess I have that kind of face. <laughs> and uh, and then we were talking about the American Indian, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's a real thing. That's something people don't talk about anymore. You know, if you want to be serious and start from the beginning and wipe away all of American history, which you can't do because we have a tainted history. So you either have to live with it. You can't reverse it. We should really be concentrating on how we treated the American Indian. Now, I know the Washington Redskins are changing their name. I'm okay with that. That's the right thing to do. Redskins seems a little bad. But why would the Cleveland Indians have to change their name? What's the matter with being called Indians? I understand changing the logo. I get that. It's a Chief Wahoo or whatever his name is. You're Maybe you're making fun. But, I mean, if you had a good name like, uh, you know, the I don't know, the Geronimos or something. I mean, you know, the Chiefs. I hope the Kansas City Chiefs aren't thinking of changing their name. I mean, you're, you're trying to say Indians are badass. And they're and they're they were good warriors and you know I I thought it was a compliment, but everybody's so crazy, they're just thinking about changing the name of the Cleveland Indians. Now I've never seen any Indians complaining about it. I guess they do, but I think you're with me when we've never seen any of them on TV complaining. It seems like it's always the same white people complaining. I don't even think the black players are complaining about anything. It's these strange white people that think that must feel guilty about something that keep complaining about everything. And now the Washington Redskins are now known as the Washington Football Club. I kid you not. That is their new name for 2020 until they find a better one. The Washington Football Club. Boy, that's when I guess you've run out of ideas and all the names are taken. They're going to keep their colors, but they're getting rid of the, uh, you know, the symbol, which is what? An Indian person with uh, paint and feathers, which means a, a warrior. I, I, I don't understand what's going on. I, yeah, the name Redskin is uncool. But I don't know why you'd have to change your logo and everything. It's It's a sign. I always thought it was a sign of respect. But the whole point is is that we shouldn't even, at this point, and I've been talking about this for years, we shouldn't even, if we're going down this way, we should stop celebrating Thanksgiving because of the way we treated the American Indians. We're already on board with that Christopher Columbus was a bag of shit. So let's go further and just say that Thanksgiving is also a scam because we really gave it to the American Indians, and that's worse I mean, that's before slavery and all that stuff. America and all the nations have a very tainted past of how you get to where you are. And you either live with it or you crumble like in a way like we are now and just going insane. There's nothing we can do. It happened. Can't turn it back. Okay, yeah, maybe you take some of these statues down that maybe are a little inappropriate, but you got to be careful. Because, you know, where does it end? And in that sense, you're saying, 
well, we should probably take down that Rocky statue in Philadelphia because he's Italian and Christopher Columbus was Italian and those people are troublemakers. I mean, it's going to get to that. You know it is. But anyway, this kid, you know, we were talking about that and I was talking about it, right? He's like, I love you, brother. I love you. And he's like hugging me and stuff, but it's way too close. You know, we're not wearing masks because we're drinking and way too close for this climate. You know, he's a little drunk, hugging. And then he tells me, He's an MS-13 gang member, and he must be because he has it tattooed on his fucking face, like uh, like the Omen, like the 666 in there. You, you know, find it there. And he's like, yeah, I'm part. Of, I'm an MS-13 gang member, and I'm like, why would you? Why would you want to admit that? But it's tattooed right on his face. And then I started to get a little panicked. I'm like, how am I going to get out of this situation? But he loved you know. He just kept hugging me and stuff. But then there were these times where maybe I was making a joke, and he just had this expression. Like he could flip at any moment because I think he had just come out of jail because he knew the manager and he had just come out of jail. Like people knew him there, so I didn't feel that bad. And she kept checking on me and stuff, but we were doing okay. And we had a pretty good talk, but I'm like, how do I get myself into these things? And he's, he's in my face, you know, talking, not mad at me, but just talking about stuff and whatever kind of spitting on me and stuff. But I, but I held my own. I never backed up because. I really wasn't sure how to handle it. But after it had finished, I said to my, I called my sister. I'm like, you know, I think I do okay in jail because uh, I, I, I think I can hold my own with a lot of crazy people, I guess. I don't know. Then he was saying to me, he's like, you know, hey, you know, I had to kill some people and stuff. I'm like, what? why would you mention that? I don't know. I think he's. My friend told me, you know, I had to call her and be like, is that guy going to be around all the time? Because I don't know if I'd come back. I mean, he was like I said, he, he was really nothing but nice. Kept trying to buy me drinks. I'm like, no, dude, let me buy you one or something. And he was very nice, but he's obviously troubled. And he has a troubled past. And what are you going to do? He's trying to work on it. But, you know, it's not exactly who I wanted to hang out with. But it's not like I haven't hung out with people like that before. And it's odd. And I just hang out with so many different kinds of people. And that's. You know, I mean, that's what you got to like in a way about drinking is that you do meet a lot of interesting and different kind of people. And that's why L.A. kind of sucks. It's good to meet people from all places because that's how you shape yourself or that's how you become a writer for sure. I mean, that's what Hemingway used to talk about all the time. I'm not saying I am in any way that way, but I mean, you have to experience life. You must. And I feel like I've experienced many different things. I don't travel a lot, so I don't experience life that way. But I experience people. But I'm also in a little bubble as well. But, you know, the important thing is to, uh, that's why you got to get out of the house sometime. It's important to meet people like that and just say, well, that was messed up. But it certainly was interesting. Interesting to see how you fare in a situation like that how you handle it, and then, you know, at the end, I'm like, well, I got to get going. Dude, no. And I'm like, yeah, no, I got to meet some friends. <laughs> and then when I was walking away, and I'm like, what was that? What just happened? I don't know if you know, I'm saying, but the MS-13 is like the the most horrible, I mean, scariest gang. I, I think they're in the nation. And they're, they're off. In fact, I said, 
Well, you guys really botched up. I swear to God, I said, you guys really botched up that thing in the Bronx where you had that kid with the mistaken identity. He goes, I told that guy he fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I, I, I gave it to him just like I gave it to Dennis D. Young. I am telling you, folks, I never change in front of anybody. <laughs> I keep being who I am at all times. You really botched up that operation where, I don't know if you had heard this thing in the Bronx, they they beat up and, well, murdered, I think, this kid in this uh, grocery store. I, I think murdered him by accident, but they were beat him, and it turned out to be the wrong kid. They messed up. And it was, you know, a big story about six, seven, nine months ago. And I, and I said, well, what the fuck was that all about? And that, that's a pretty risky thing to say, but... Um, uh, you know, I just, I just said, it's like, well, everybody knows the MS-13. You know, you, you want to have a topic of conversation. And this is what I do, no matter what it is. I want to be, I am ready to have a topic of conversation. You know, this, this is the best part. It's like I'm trying to put stuff in my memory banks in case I meet certain people. It's the most important thing in life, to bond with people. So when I see Dennis D. Young, I want to be like, you know, listen, in Desert Storm, I got to tell you guys, you know, or if I see, like I saw, I mean, I'm telling you, it's the same status when I met um, Urkel that time, remember? And I'm like, oh, my God, you remember when you called that preseason Jets game and the guy ran for a touchdown and you were right in the middle of promoting the show and you had to call the touchdown? Go, oh, my God, yes. And when I met Penny Marshall, I said the same thing. I meet this guy from Memphis 13. I'm like, well, what was up with that botched operation over there? I mean, you kind of just got to go for it. And he took a chance and I'm like, if this guy is okay with this, then I'll be okay today. But if he gets mad about this, then I'm in big trouble. But, you know, again, I try and have something stored in the memory banks for anybody I meet, just in case. You never know. You know, you want to meet Rod from what's happening? You want to be like, now that Doobie Brothers episode, let me ask you a question. How high was the actual band when doing the lines? It is a strange life that I lead, and yet, um, ironically, a very semi-normal one as well. It really is half and half, because the rest of the week, I'm just sitting at home, watching TV, cooking, and then I have these nights that are just the exact opposite of crazy. And that's like before I even had the podcast, the, the stuff I could tell you, which I try to remember sometimes and, and explain to you. But um, anyway, after that, I met Olga at this new bar down on uh, 4th Street, I think it was. I don't know what the name of it was. And we just hung out there for a while and had a couple more drinks. And to use the bathroom in there, you have to sign a book, which was interesting. Pretty good idea, though. Yeah. You got to put your phone number down. You just put your first name. You got to put your phone number down. I like that plan. It's not a horrible plan. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's some sort of plan to let people use the bathroom at least. Because, you know, what are you going to do? You're sitting outside. You can't go inside and use the bathroom. You can't serve beer at a place where you're not allowed to use the bathroom. That's insane. So they have no choice. Uh, but that was okay. And then I walked home, which was great. And it was the weather, the rain had completely stopped. It was beautiful. I walked all the way home. I needed the exercise badly, even though I had been, you know, taking my normal walks. But whatever, 
that day also on Wednesday, I posted a new Instagram post, which was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, something that happened right outside my window. There was a big manhole cover leak, and I uh, put Slimer coming out of the thing. You know, I've really been trying to work this editing thing and stuff and put out some new content every week or so. Uh, and people are really liking them, getting a lot more views and a lot more likes. And I, I think it's helpful for whatever we're doing to maybe make some sort of money at some point or something just to keep being, like I said, relevant in some way that it'll maybe some point turn into money. But the more likes you have and people are sharing it. Meanwhile, I saw Yamanika shared it, but I didn't even get any of the credit. I thought when you shared it, it says this was Dave Juskow's post, but no. So people are like, Yamanika, you're so funny. I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, I'm happy Yamanika shared it, but that's all right. But, you know, those days when you post something, it's like it really is. You know, whether you're, you know, 8 to 80, you're like, I'm like, God, I hope people like it. I hope people like it. You're just checking it all day. It's a thing. I understand why teenagers almost commit suicide if nobody likes their stuff. Boy, you really can't concentrate on anything else once you post something. So that's why Wednesdays, if I'm posting on Wednesdays around 2 o'clock, those are good drinking days because then I can, like, relax and forget about it for a little bit, you know, and then – not worry because yeah, you really panic. God, I hope people like it. Why are there only three views? It's been up for it's been up for seven minutes. How come there's only three views? What is happening? People hate it, but it drives you insane. No matter what age, it's crazy. When I got home that night, I watched the Twilight Zone episode that actually had Dick York and. Hayden Rourke. So that Dick York from Bewitched and Hayden Rourke from I Dream of Genie. It had the two of them talking at a desk in a bank at the exact same time. Now, how's that for legendary television watching? Dick York and Hayden Rourke. That, you know, two years later, maybe, would end up being in these legendary series about witches and genies and magic. Classic. I remember that as a kid. I didn't know it was Dick. Maybe I did know it was Dick York. When the coin, Twilight Zone, the coin, he's getting a newspaper and the coin falls on its side, you know, one in a million chance, and then he can read everybody's thoughts until he knocks the coin over again. He's actually one of the people that's allowed to escape from the Twilight Zone. Oh, that's rare. A lot of people don't get out. Let's see. Where do we want to head today? I'm looking at my thing. Um, Watched the Mets game yesterday. You know, I really hate Major League Baseball a lot. I think they're stupid and baseball sucks. However, I can't deny it was nice to turn on something baseball game. I don't like the cardboard cutouts they're using in the stands. That's why when I was watching the Cubs game, I'll watch any of the games that are on, just have it on. I, I like that they're not using the cutouts. I, some teams are, some teams aren't. I think it's stupid. Uh, I think the Dodgers is funny because they got a cutout of Mary Hart in her seat that she has at the Dodgers game, so that's kind of funny. But otherwise, I enjoy I enjoy seeing nobody in the stands. I think that, for me, is the fun to also just remember. I think those cardboard cutouts would be completely distracting if I was a pitcher. I would have a lot of problems with that. And I don't like the piping sound, piped in sound. I would like to see it. No seats, no sound. I would like to watch that and, you know, be reminded 
that this year is just insane. Uh, but it was uh, the Mets game was very exciting. Once again, Jake, Jacob DeGrom was amazing. And they won one to nothing. Because once again, Jacob DeGrom gets no run support when he pitches a gem. And it's completely unacceptable. It's as if the Mets hate him. That's all I will talk about in sports today. But I will say, oh, you, the best team that's benefiting from no fans, especially when they, when they are going to go on the road, would be the Houston Astros. Because if you remember, and everyone's forgotten, there was a huge cheating scandal before all this happened. And the Astros were going to get booed in every stadium they went to that wasn't their own. They were going to get booed, booed, and more booed. Because they were cheating. They were caught cheating. Oh, no. Sissies. And this is the greatest thing that happened. As a matter of fact, it's so great that I actually thought that it's possible the owner of the Astros came up with the virus. What if we had something that was so distracting to the American public, they completely forgot about this? Well, that is who benefits from a pandemic. The Houston Astros, who were caught cheating and, and, and in the World Series. I mean, that is just epic. And now they can go to any town and they will never get booed because there's no one there to boo them. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. This is the Chandra Levy September 11th thing all over again. We have all forgotten about the MLB cheating scandal. Not that anyone fucking cares anyway, because cheating has been going on since the beginning of baseball, and that includes steroids. So why don't you all just shut up and just disband baseball? It's stupid and boring. Thank you. I know people get upset when I say that. It's just a stupid sport. The good news is now they have a couple of extra rules. They have when I, You know how it's annoying when they bring in a pitcher, he pitches to one guy, and then they cut to a commercial because they bring in a second pitcher. They can't do that anymore. They bring in a pitcher. He's got to pitch to at least three people. That's an interesting change. During extra innings, if there are any, they start a guy on second base. You got to speed this game up. And this is where MLB is also stupid and the stupidest of all four sports. You know what they're going to do? You know what they did in the World Series when the Philadelphia Phillies won is that they ironically got lucky because there was a rain delay. So they had to play the second half of the winning game of the World Series. They played six, seven, or the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning the next day at seven o'clock. So they won their World Series trophy at around nine o'clock, a normal time for Phillies fans and children to be celebrating with their favorite team. And that's where Major League Baseball is stupid. And why no one who's young is ever going to care about baseball because these games go until midnight or one in the morning, especially the playoffs. And what kid is going to be up at that time wanting to celebrate with his team? You guys are stupid. You're just stupid and you don't read the room and it gets worse. All their games are still being played at seven o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. Why aren't they just playing games like the other sports are playing games at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday? Why are you waiting till 7 o'clock at night? But people aren't working. Just put all the games, put a couple at 7 o'clock at night, spread them out, play the games at 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What are you doing? Nobody's home. 
God, they're so stupid. Major League Baseball is just the absolute worst. And we know that now because the reason they're starting now and not on July 4th is it couldn't come to terms with anything because they're idiots. Thank you. It's my rant on Major League Baseball today. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about today. Obviously, uh, uh, the moving kissing booth. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Stupid kissing booth. Howard Stern has been talking about this movie Kissing Booth all day. You know, I listen to Howard Stern all the time. He's been talking about this movie on Netflix, Kissing Booth. Now, Howard Stern and I obviously have the same kind of taste when it comes to teenage comedies, um, teenage romantic comedies, because we're little boys inside. So he's watching this movie Kissing Booth. He keeps talking about it. I'm like, The Kissing Booth 2 is coming out. It came out last night. This taping this on a Saturday. And I'm like, all right, let me just watch this thing. And he's talking about the actors. And he's like, oh, Joey King, uh, whatever, whatever her name is. Uh, I'm like, let me see this movie. So I, you know, I watched it the other night. And it's it's awful. I mean, just awful. It's not, it's definitely not one of my favorites. It's not like Clueless. It's not like, it's certainly not like Never Have I Ever. I mean, these are really good movies. This is something I would never watch again. And it's actually a little disturbing, as a matter of fact. So Kissing Booth 2 came out. And I don't know, I really don't want to watch it. I would only watch it because Howard might talk about it this week. And that'd be the only reason I would watch it. Uh, this guy in the paper, this guy, Johnny Alescu, I'm trying to get on this podcast. He writes for the New York Post and uh, we're Facebook friends now. And he's a millennial who writes, you know, about millennial stuff, but he reviews movies and TV shows. And so he was reviewing this week, Kissing Booth 2. And he is of the age where Kissing Booth 2 might be a good plan. And he's saying... He's saying he's maybe he's 27 or 28, and he's saying, what are we teaching our kids with movies like this? Now, people that age aren't supposed to be saying that. I'm supposed to be saying that, but I'm not a father, so I don't care. And I never say, what are we teaching our kids? But I got to say, this movie is a weird one. It's very odd. This guy who's the, you know, the the guy in it, he's about seven foot tall. The lead girl is about 4'11". So it really looks like even they're two years apart, maybe he's 17, she's 15, and and they have sex. And it looks like he's raping her because he's so tall. It's really awkward. And it's creepy because the guy looks like he's 30. And this girl looks like a little girl. But the other part of it is she looks like Sheba Mason. If you look her up online, Sheba's my friend. She's Jackie Mason's daughter. She's crazy. But, you know, she's funny and kind, not funny in comedy, but um, she's a nice girl. But she looks like this girl a little bit, like a little prettier, a little thinner uh, Sheba Mason. And that's why it's even funnier because I could see Sheba Mason at 22 possibly being in this role because Joey King is a little awkward looking. And that's, of course, what makes, you know, a romantic teen comedy like this fun. But it's a little weird. If you ever watch it, you'll be like, yeah, I see what he means on this. Like, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. It's not never have I ever. I'm watching again. I've never watched anything a second time. That's a series like this on Netflix. And never have I ever is so good. I started watching it again once I turned my friends on to it. But yeah, this isn't uh, it's not very good. Um, on the flip side of that, of course. I'm so stupid. I mean, I don't know what my problem is, and I, I continue to watch this show. I'm so attached 
in the head. I mean, it's the same thing. Every time I'm watching stuff, like even watching Kissing Booth, I'm laughing at myself. I'm like, what am I doing? I can't stop watching this good witch. I, you know what? Because it just really relaxes me. Like I'm watching, I'm like, come on, let's just watch it. Like I'm trying to save them up because this is how much I'm enjoying them, but not for their premise. I couldn't recommend it to anybody. There's something extremely soothing about this stupid, stupid show that just makes me relax and it just really takes away all the problems that are in the world. I've never seen a show like this before that's so good and I'm nervous I'm going to run out of episodes soon and then what am I going to do? Besides that music, as you can see, being so stupid and it's just relaxing that nothing really evil ever happens, although although this week, this third season, you know, she, she she's got powers, you know, Catherine Bell and her daughter and her cousin, super hot Abigail, who's always up to trouble. God, that is sexy. And uh, they had some sort of flower that is in Middleton, the town they live in, and it only blooms once in a while. And some evil botanist, um, spoiler alert, cut the uh, cut the plant. It's a it's a who done it. It's a two parter, and it and it throws off all their powers. And then you know, and I'm sitting there going like, oh no, oh. And then I say to myself, what am I doing? Oh no, you know, she can always tell when people are like her back is turned, and she's like, hello, Sam, and he's like, how do you do that? And they never talk about their powers, but everybody kind of clearly knows they got something going on. So the mother, the daughter, and the cousin all have the powers, and they were all off. Like, you know, Cassie works at that Bell Book and Candle shop, and she always gives out remedy. They didn't need a doctor in the town because she would give everybody remedy. She knew exactly what to do. So like, yeah, rub this on yourself twice a week. It'll be fine. And then she gave the wrong advice. And it's like, no, I got it got worse. I got all this rash now. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. But it's because of that flower. They get their powers from this flower. Oh, boy. It's a rough episode. But they figured it out in the end, and it was all because of this horrible evil botanist. Oh, God. You sit there going, what is the matter with me? Why? Why? Why am I watching this but there's something so goddamn soothing i'm like well i'll just watch that and that'll make me feel better and it does it's weird i don't want you know but i can't recommend it i can't i can't recommend it to you guys because it's you know it's you'll be like what you know what i can't listen to this podcast anymore because he's horrible who talks like this there are two news items I want to talk about today. There, oh, actually, I guess, look at it. You know, I was like, geez, I got nothing today, and I'm sure we're going to go an hour 20. Um, you know what? Or maybe I can even save that for next time. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do this first. Um, two news items I wanted to talk about today. This is so weird. We'll see where that leads us. Um, the first one, I was reading the paper that Venice is now restricting the numbers allowed on gondolas because they're complaining that they, they first when you read it you think oh they're do for social distancing that makes sense but the reason they're doing it is because they're complaining that tourists have gotten too fat and that's why the number of people on gondolas has gone down they're complaining that tourists have gotten too fat which of course i realized 
last year when I was in Disney World at Epcot Center when I realized I was the thinnest person there and feeling pretty goddamn good about myself. Every time I think I'm fat, when things get back to normal, I might fly down to Disney World and just walk around. Because for real, me and my sister and her kids and my brother-in-law and me are the thinnest people I've ever seen compared to what's down at Epcot Center. So they are so right that you cannot fit all these people on gondolas because most tourists are really fat. It's funny that all these tourists, I guess, well, I guess that's how you get fat. You must have enough money to eat and uh, just keep eating. Yeah, I guess poor people who would be thin wouldn't have the money to go. So I guess that makes sense. Just kind of funny. I always picture tourists, you know, people that are able to travel are thinner. But no, they're not. I mean, even uh, in the James Bond movie, when uh, when the sheriff is traveling, he's fat. You pointy-headed bastards would do better if you weren't in your pajamas. The sheriff and uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Well, he was in Live and Let Die and the Man with the Golden Gun, but that line's from the Man with the Golden Gun, which apparently nobody cares about anymore. So then there's this other thing. Now, this girl, Naya Rivera, I don't know if you've heard about this. She died. She used she used to be on Glee. I can't remember what her name is. It started with an S. It's like Samantha. So who cares? It doesn't matter. And she used to be on Glee. And let, two weeks ago, I remember when I was going up to Woodstock. And we might have t- touched on this last week. I don't think we did. When I was going up to Woodstock, it's on the sports station. People were talking about that she died. She uh, drowned, we think. Uh, somewhere in, I don't know, she was in Michigan or something, somewhere on her thing, and her four-year-old son was found on a, uh, I don't know, whatever they call it, a, it was not a boat, it's it's something like a boat, but uh, they went swimming, and I was just like, what the fuck, what is it, and like, how was her son okay, like, why is she going swimming and leaving her four-year-old son on a, whatever you call these things, it wasn't like a normal boat, I think it's more like that thing in Castaway, where he's just sitting on those logs you know put together i'm like why are you bringing a four-year-old into the water you know and then jumping off this thing and going swimming with a four-year-old you know in the middle of the a lake it just seems dangerous you know so anyway she died nobody knows exactly what happened but she's dead and i don't know for me when i was listening to the report i feel a little bad and yet i'm like what an idiot so a four-year-old's just sitting there. They found him, thank God, on this raft or something. And they, they were like, yeah, they just went out swimming. I'm like, the whole thing just sounded stupid. And it's very fishy that uh, the, the way it all happened. It's very strange. I mean, it, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether she saved her son or something. But I don't know. Bringing a four-year-old out on a, a raft or a gondola, whatever it is, just doesn't sound like a good plan. So she's dead. And she had a cast member named Heather Morris, who actually played her girlfriend. They were lesbians in the show Glee. And this girl, and I guess you can look it up, uh, did a tribute to her friend, her late friend, by doing an interpretive dance. Which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Now, it's possible her friend might have thought it was great if she was alive, but she's dead. So now it just looks stupid. And the first thing I thought of, because it's so ridiculous, 
was this old Martin Short show. And believe me, it took me a long time to find I, because I thought it was SCTV. But it, I remember seeing this unbelievable Martin Short special called, I guess I finally figured it out, called The Show Formerly Known as The Martin Short Show. And I remember it in the 90s. And it was just as good as SCTV. I mean, all the gags, but there were more longer form pieces. And he just did all his characters, especially the one we played up front from the big picture in a new thing. And why not? Because they're great. And of course, you know, Leonard Cohen and stuff, stuff where you're also just like, really? But who cares? Because Martin Short's the greatest. And I totally remember from 30 years ago or however long it's been that he was playing Tim Burton in something where he was, you know, pretending to direct a movie. And there's a scene where he goes and he's losing the crowd. So he does some interpretive dance. And I can't believe I found the clip and it starts off uh, like this, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I need to show you. We, you know what we forget about. We've talked about Catherine O'Hara on Schitt's Creek and how brilliant she was. You know, what this also shows is that we miss how amazing Jan Hooks was, if you can remember her, and how fortunate Martin Short was to have her as a friend and cast member of this show. Jan Hooks, Phil Hartman, these two we lost way too soon, were so uber-talented, we've forgotten about them. Jan Hooks could have been just as big as Catherine O'Hara is in Schitt's Creek right now because she was... It seemed like she, well, she must have been sick, so I guess she kind of retired a little early. But boy, in her day, she was as good as anyone I'd ever seen, let alone, you know, when we talk about, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to, you know, females in comedy, you know, when my heroes are Carol Burnett and Andrea Martin and truly Catherine O'Hara, um, again, for a boy in comedy, Jan Hooks is completely up there with amazing, great female comedians or, you know, comic actresses as uh, maybe sexist as that sounds for some reason, because, because again, you just have to say like, I'm a boy. So I like guys, uh, you know, as comics, that's who I follow. Those are my heroes. It makes sense. But, you know, to like a woman, especially back where I grew up as a comedian was just ridiculously rare. So, you know, that's why it made Joan Rivers, so special and and people who you know we respected because just there just wasn't a lot of respect for female comedians or even comic actresses maybe you talk about uh what is the one george birds george and gracie gracie allen maybe she was known as a great comic actress but that was way before my time so and she died really early so i didn't know anything about her but carol burnett was all we had right and guys and girls liked her so much and uh it was just odd as a little boy to have uh you know there just wasn't a lot to choose from. But Jan Hooks is up there. So anyway, I'm going to play this just little thing uh, from for the opening up. And Martin Short's depiction of whatever he thinks Tim Burton would be like or the way he directs, if you look it up on YouTube, it's even funnier because it's not worth playing because some of the stuff is just visual. And it's so amazing. I mean, the guy... We already know Martin Short is the greatest. I've already cried when I've met him. But if there was a doubt, 
then this show just makes it even better. In 1957, director Leo McCary gave us his bittersweet masterpiece, An Affair to Remember, starring Cary Grant and Deborah Carr as two strangers who meet and fall in love on a transatlantic voyage. In 1994, Warren Beatty brought his version to the screen, entitled Love Affair, starring Beatty and the scrumptious Annette Benning. And now, anticipating 12 weeks of intense filming, the dark genius himself, Tim Burton, director of Batman, assembles an all-star cast to begin his own remake. So tonight, on The Making Of, we look at Tim Burton's The Making of Tim Burton's A Nightmare to Remember. I don't know, it's like, is everyone prepared to make a movie and stuff? To play the all-important role of Terry McKay, Tim has handpicked none other than Grace Under Fire's Brett Butler. Now that's the one that's being played by Jen Hooks. And she's just so good. This is unbelievable. And then filming begins. Compliments of the captain to celebrate your first transatlantic voyage. Well, thank you, Stuart. Mmm, pink champagne, my favorite. It's like they say back home. It's sweeter than a nun's dream, son. Cut, cut. What now? What? Uh, two things, uh, actually. One is uh, that uh, his name's not Stuart. He's a ship Stuart. And uh, also, the line, sweeter than a nun's dream, I think that you should just sort of like, I don't know, stick with what's written in the script. Uh-huh. I'm going I'm to share something with you. You are really starting to get on my nerves. You know that? I mean, you're supposed to inspire confidence. I look over to you, y'all dressed up like Elvira. What the hell is that all about? Now, you listen to me, you little weirdo. I don't give a flying Louisiana lick about what you think is cinematic propriety. I am giving you the proper interpretation. I understand, but... Do you have a number one show? Right. Do you have a number one show? I, I don't see what this... Do you have a number one show? No. Then stop! Get out of here! Stop! Uh, how great is she? I mean, that's a perfect Brett Butler. It's amazing. She's just so good at not just imitations, even developing her own characters and everything. Um, and then he had Joe Flaherty play uh, Lyle Lovett, which was really funny. But you have to see it. It's just not It's not worth uh, But Joe Flaherty is just the Play best. Nicky Ferrante, an Italian gigolo. And Brett's character falls madly in love with me. Although on the set, she always calls me donkey face. He's just, it's just so awesome that he's using his, his buddies from SCTV. But uh, here's the scene. It's, I mean, how warped does your mind have to be that there's an article in the paper of a girl who died, left her four-year-old son an orphan. Her best friend makes an interpretive dance video. And this is what it brings to Dave Juskow's mind. Where's Boynton? Where's the dark genius? By week five, in an attempt to ease tensions and curry favor with his hostile cast and crew, Tim does an impromptu jig to the theme of his very own Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The attempt backfires. I, I, it, I mean... Can, can you believe I remembered that 30 years ago? Tim does an impromptu gig to his own dance of... <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. I'm sorry about the sound quality, obviously, but it's so stupid. Why would I remember that little piece of 
narration. I guess because I just thought it was the funniest thing because he's Tim Burton. And like, you know, for me, if you're making, if you're playing Tim Burton and you're engrossed, like what would Tim Burton do? You know, as a person that likes to come up with bits like that, wouldn't it be funny? Couldn't we see Tim Burton like he's so weird and crazy? Could you see him do an interpretive dance? But of course, watching Martin Short dance, and it's always the same Martin Short dance. It's the same Ed Grimley dance, but he's just in a different character. I mean, why would anybody even think of that? To get the cast and crew going, he does an interpretive dance. I mean, where would he even think about that? Because Martin Short, every time he makes a character, is saying, well, where can we put in the interpretive dance part? You know, I mean, that's... You know, I mean, that's what makes it so funny. He's so special. He's so brilliant. And then, of course, that that character from from uh, the big picture, he brings that back, which is really funny, too. And he's being interviewed by Jan Hooks once again, who's playing one of those e-television performers, uh, the, the Entertainment Tonight television people, which she's also really good at. There's a major talent who was lost too soon. People say you're tough. Are you? Well, if that means am I rock hard in my beliefs and not afraid to bulldoze anyone who gets in my way, creating an aerial view of Versailles, if needs must, with, you know, no survivors required or invited, for that matter. I'm sorry, what was the question? Are you tough? Not really. Okay, now you're going to hate me for this one. (laughs) Don't do it. I'm going to do it. Because I like you, Sandy. I do. (laughs) You remind me of Ruta Lee. Thank you. The two of them together, it's just like that Brock Loinahan thing we were praying. They're so good at doing a realistic talk show interview that it seems like it could be real. It's just stupid. It's amazing. Just like that one where he's interviewing Bob Hope, where it's like so realistic that it goes beyond the written word and into this other realm of brilliant. Who's your favorite client? Oh, I knew you were going to do that. Well, if you promise not to tell Kevin, Bet, Goldie, or Julia, do you promise? Scout Honor. Yeah, and I believe you, not. <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm totally bewitched. By my newest client, Rob Tarna, mm. who's made such a big splash on this year's SNL with his That's Right Guy character. Yes. I think he just makes me squeal. Mm. I remember the first time he did the That's Right Guy character. And we were at SNL, and we agents were all in the booth. And we looked down on this scene, and Charlene Tilden was the host. Yes. Yes. And she comes in, and she says, excuse me, is this the mail room? Do you have a rubber stamp? And he looks at her and he goes, that's right. (laughs) We just squealed. (laughs) The Rob Tarno That's Right Guy movie is the latest in a lucrative trend of late night characters starring in their own feature films. Sussman has been the driving force behind this most recent one. Action. So you're saying we're not giving in? That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's even brilliant, too. They were making fun of all the movies that Saturday Night Live just makes of those stupid characters. I think it's Chad Lowe. 
uh, who's in it, and they're making, they're on the film, and the guy's like in his acting, and he's just like, so you're saying we're not whatever it is, and the guy, that's right, and even the actor feeding the line starts laughing, they all break up from that stupid one line. Boy, this brought back some memories, and for me, it really just completely holds, I didn't watch the whole show, because I don't like watching stuff on YouTube that much, but, I mean, you know, fully, but I kind of want to watch that. I remember there was a, kind of a Melrose Place takeoff. I can't remember what it was called, but I just remember it. And Martin Short plays all the parts. And it's just, it was a very amazing hour that I remember. I must have watched 20 times, I guess, in the 90s. Clearly, I must have watched a lot just to even remember. When I see the word interpretive dance in the newspaper, it leads me to the narrator saying, and because he knew the crew was falling apart, Tim Burton tries an interpretive routine to try and get the cast together. It failed. In fact, I use that. I have a uh, biography that I made that, you know what? Oh, my God. I'll just put it on YouTube, on uh, Instagram. Yes. I'll put my old biography in, and then, then it'll be up there. Okay, that's a good idea. We'll do that. I'll, and I remember using this. I had Peter Graves from the A&E biography narrate my actual biography where I retired at 30, but 30, I think, uh, you know, it was a joke biography, which I told you before, because uh, Zach Galifianakis was like, I wanted the A and E asked me to do one, but I wanted to make sure it was okay with you because you did the best phony biography I've ever seen. Um, and again, another piece of the puzzle. Uh, but uh, so this was a really good thing that I did. And uh, I used uh, the attempt failed, you know, like that wording or something it did not go as planned something like that which i definitely got from this um unbelievable martin short greatness as usual he is uh he's what a hell of a human being i will tell you this but um i don't know i feel like um i don't know i think i might uh, i had something else prepared i know i said it at the opening should we talk about it Eh, we're kind of at the status of where it could go either way. You save it for next week. It's about these restaurants that are not around anymore. It's kind of, oh, yeah, well, hmm. I uh, can't make up my mind. I think, I think I'll call it a night. Is that okay with everybody? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's like I know we've been doing, uh, you know, a lot longer shows lately and everything, but... I don't know. Maybe a little shorter show this week is a good plan. Since I didn't really have that much to talk about, but it's amazing. I'm able to fill an hour and such with uh, just absolute nonsense. But, um, yeah. And then next week we'll save, uh, we'll do these uh, defunct restaurants, which uh, I found to be quite titillating. (laughs) Been waiting to use that word for a long time. You're welcome. Anyway, that's our show for today. I don't know what's happening next week, but we will be going into August, which I like to call uh, the Dave Juskow birthday month, because it is. And I don't know what I'm going to plan. I don't know. Maybe that's what we'll talk about next week. What can I do to kind of celebrate? I'm a birthday guy. I like to celebrate. What do you do during a pandemic without using Zoom when restaurants are fairly open to invite a couple of people or maybe even do a show on a rooftop? Is that a possibility? Got to think, got to think, got to do something. Got to do something, right? You can't just sit around like it's just an ordinary day. It's your birthday, for goodness sakes. Everybody should be able to celebrate. And since I live alone, I think I'm going to need some human contact. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. What's up, ladies? How are you? 
Anyway, that's our show for today. We'll see you, oh my God, in August of 2020, when things will never be back to normal again. But at least the Nightfly prevails. We'll see you next time on the Nightfly. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 